WDBM East Lansing. You think the Pistons are playoff bound? Yeah, that last play by the Giants totally gave the rest. This MSU team deserves to be in a BCS game. Our summer sports rap series continues. Yes, you may remember Aaron Jordan and David Zuckerman. They are back at it again. You definitely want to stay tuned. This is the Spartan Sports Rap. That's right. It is the Spartan Sports Rap every Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. And we are continuing our summer sports rap series. I'm Alex Sharg, your usual host, but we have some guest hosts today. You may have heard them earlier on in the summer. David Zuckerman and Aaron Jordan. Great to have them back. They'll be giving you the latest MSU updates from football to hockey and a whole lot more. Some recent Hall of Fame news, I'm sure, which they'll get to. So here you go, guys. All right, Alex, thank you very much. And David, good to be with you here today. And I can say this. I When he said my name at the beginning, I actually waved as if we were on camera and then I realized we're on the radio and nobody saw that so we want to lead off the show with a a question to you the listeners at 517-432-3893 or at 89FM Sports Rap on Twitter okay so this is to you football fans college football and MSU football what MSU football game are you looking forward to most this year and which game that doesn't feature the Spartans, are you most looking forward to? David and I will give our answers throughout the show. David, do you have any ideas? I'm, I'm racking my brain currently. They're, after the season last year, a little more disappointing than we would have expected. There are a few redemption games I'm looking to bring back, so we'll reveal that later in the show. This is going to be very interesting. And again, 517-432-3893. If you want to comment on anything that David and I say throughout the show, we are more than open to listening to you. But right now... Our first topic has really nothing to do with football, David. It's true. I want to move over to Spartan Puck for a little bit. Now, the Sochi Winter Olympic Games is just a year away, and it's the time of year that Team USA and Canada start to put together preliminary rosters of players who could potentially suit up for their respective countries. Now, as a Michigan State Spartan fan, I'm excited to announce that we have three former players who are going to be on these rosters looking to make their mark and pretty much their spot on the team. So... To start it off, I want to talk about Duncan Keith. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a player who just won a Stanley Cup, which is would bring it to the second of his career total. Ever since he broke onto the NHL scene in 05, he's led the Chicago Blackhawks in assists and ice time and has really become pretty much a staple of their defense, playing with Brent Seabrook for a few years, and as pretty a, a consistent basis so that the, the forwards can do what they have to do and know that, you know, behind them, whoever's in net, you have a guy like Duncan Keith, a proven guy to help you out. He's arguably their number one defenseman, David, and I think he'd be a very good choice to bring on to the Olympic team. Because I was looking at the the camp roster earlier. It features a really good group of people, actually, in uh, Carl Alsner is one of them from the Washington Capitals. And Seabrook, actually, you just mentioned him. He's on there as well, I believe. And Nick Letty. So I... So there's, they've got a lot of good choices. The Canadian Olympic team with Coach Mike Babcock and General Manager Steve Eiserman, they really have a lot of hard decisions to make. And you know Babcock and Eiserman both being former and current Red Wing with the Red Wings organizations, they spent a lot, a lot of time watching Duncan Keith simply because up until this year, division rivalry was as prevalent as it's ever been. So I guess now my question to you is you have these players – maybe 15 to 13 players on the defense who are Mm -hmm. vying for about eight spots. 
what would you mark up the percentage that Duncan Keith ends up on the official roster and ends up making the trip to Russia? I'm going to give him a 97%. I'm going to put him in as one of the locks to be on that team. Uh, you've got guys like Drew Doughty that he's playing with, uh, uh, Shea Weber, P.K. Subban, and Chris Latang, just to name a few. He's up in very good company, but I think that Duncan Keith is pretty much a lock to make the Canada Olympics. I would agree. I was actually going to chalk it up at 99%, and I started at 100, but I figured this way I have a little bit of leeway. But to me, Duncan Keith, the one stat that jumps out to me more than anything else is in 2010, when Team Canada actually won the gold medal, he led Team Canada in ice time and assists. And that number right there lets me know that this is a player that Babcock, he wants on the ice regardless. He, mm-hmm. No matter what's happening, power play, penalty kill, even strength, he wants him out there because he knows he's going to produce, he's going to make players better, and he's, he's not going to let up any goals, at least at, at an excessive rate, that some of these other younger guys might not have an, enough experience to kind of challenge. He's got... He's got a lot of trust in him, obviously. And again, like you said, they used to play the Chicago Blackhawks because of the Central Division. They were Central Division rivals, or I think they were in the Central. Yeah, they were yeah. in um, when they were in the Western Conference. So that's going to be interesting to see how that happens. And an- another one we mentioned, that, or another former MSU player, Ryan Miller, he was the starter for mm-hmm. the U.S. Olympic team back in 2010, but you have his chances of making the team lessened, I think. Honestly, this is the one that kind of racked my brain up the most. I, I like Ryan Miller in terms of what he's done over his career. He's proven. His track record is there. There's really nothing else that anyone can say about his longevity. Unfortunately, the goalie of the position of goalie is a what-have-you-done-for-me-right-now mm-hmm. type of position, as we've seen with Rick DiPietro, as we've seen with, I mean, Tim Thomas went from a Conn Smythe winner to not being employed. Back with Chris, and Chris Osgood and Jimmy Howard, too, the year after Chris Osgood took the wings to the Stanley Cup Finals for the second year in a row, Jimmy Howard becomes the starter right. because Osgood struggled. And And... To me, what Ryan Miller had done in 2010 was remarkable, and he should be remembered for that performance for pretty much all of Olympic eternity. Mm-hmm. But in the terms of what have you done for me recently, this year he went 17-17. and 17. He, he couldn't really get a good Buffalo Sabres team to the playoffs in an Eastern Conference that, you know, the 6th, 7th, and 8th seeds of those of that conference isn't necessarily aren't the strongest teams so this is a a backstop who if he's playing well he should be able to get the roster he had in buffalo up to the as a playoff team his his save percentage was down his goals against was up this is just a he's he's a, a goalie who you know you can do it over a career but the Olympics only last a couple of weeks. He doesn't. He doesn't have a lifetime to prove himself for this. No, he doesn't. And you got to think about who he's going up against too. He's going up against guys like Craig Anderson, who in Ottawa last year, up until he got hurt, was putting up Vezina Trophy worthy numbers. Absolutely phenomenal, and probably one of the key reasons that the Ottawa Senators made the playoffs last season. Oh, a hundred percent. And. Jimmy Howard, um, really need I say more than that name? Detroit Red Wings fans know this. He's, I'd again say the reason, not only really that they made the playoffs last season, but also the fact that they got to the second round and got as far as they did against the Chicago Blackhawks, who were obviously the Stanley Cup winners, but also an absolutely phenomenal team. And the Red Wings pushed them to the breaking point. And and they did so with a pretty mediocre defense some would say exactly i mean and 
especially once they lost Danny DeKaiser, who was easily their number two defenseman. When he got hurt, the de- the defense took a huge step backward in the in the Anaheim series. And then you got uh, Ryan Miller, of course, Jonathan Quick, who I think is the lock to be the starter. He's been absolutely phenomenal the last two seasons. Again, the Los Angeles Kings just played a hot Blackhawks team at that point, and I think they very easily could have repeated had the Blackhawks not been playing the Kings in the Western Conference Finals. And then Corey Schneider, that's a little bit of an intriguing possibility for me because he wasn't great when he was in in Vancouver. He was very good. But the big reason he got the starting position there was because Roberto Luongo was struggling. And now he's with the New Jersey Devils. And I, I was talking to you about this before the show. I think Corey Schneider would be the starter in Vancouver going into this season if they could have traded Roberto Luongo, but nobody wants that contract. It runs through 2021, and why would anyone take on that cap hit in today's NHL? Exactly. I think that this year it is going to be a competition for more of the backup goalie to Jonathan Quick, and that competition will be between Jimmy Howard and Ryan Miller. And I think Jimmy, Jimmy Howard ultimately comes out on top on that one. I'm going to give a 45% chance that he makes it. Ooh, okay, okay. I, in, in my personal opinion, I think that you have a guy like Miller who, if you want him as the third goalie, you can use that simply because he has international experience. You know that he's not going to be over his head in whatever type, in ever, whatever type of playing time that you give him. But in terms of what Craig Anderson did this year, I think that you can't ignore that. I mean, he led the the entire league in save percentage mm-hmm. as a goalie who's, who played over 20 games, and he would have played a lot more had he not got hurt. So because you have a guy like Jimmy Howard who's who's been who's so dominant late that you know you think he's going to be able to challenge quick for the starting job but if not at least be able to retain the backup role for certain. And I I think um I think he'll be the third goalie if if anything. I think Jimmy Howard and again it comes down to you were saying what have you done for me right now? And I think Jimmy Howard has really done more as far as it goes in hockey than Ryan Miller has lately. And part of it I think Ryan Miller, in a way, is hindered by the Buffalo defense. The Buffalo defense was not that good last year. Buffalo Sabres weren't really that good of a team last year. They were kind of in flux because they'd fired um, Lindy Ruff. Right. They they weren't sure if they were going to com- keep the new coach that they had. So I think that um, Jimmy Howard, though, has the better chance between the two of them. So that's why I'm giving him less than a 50% shot. Okay, I'd say, I'd say that's a pretty fair stand I also think that a guy the the third goalie competition is going to come down to the proven Ryan Miller versus the NHL proven Craig Anderson who Mm -hmm. hasn't really made his mark in international play yet but that's just because he hasn't gotten the opportunity to do so well and the thing is it's like but I go back to again you can't go based on what they did in the past if um the Red Wings had done that with Chris Osgood back in 2008. This is, yeah, I know this isn't the Olympics. It's, I'm talking the NHL right now. Mm-hmm. But back, in, but if they'd have gone back to him taking them to the Stanley Cup finals two years in a row in 08 and 09, they wouldn't have made the playoffs that year because Jimmy Howard flat out was the reason they made the playoffs that season because Osgood was struggling. The team was pretty much an infirmary at that point because they'd lost guys like Johan Franz and guys like Pavel Datsuk right. and Henrik Zetterberg at times. So Jimmy Howard was really their stalwart that season. And I think Jimmy Howard recently, 
maybe hasn't taken the Red Wings to the Stanley Cup fi- Stanley Cup finals or out, even out of the second round. Mm-hmm. But the team really was rebuilding, even though they didn't want to admit it, I yes. think. And I think Jimmy Howard, if he can um, keep up the numbers that he had, and I don't really, I'm honestly not sure when the Olympic roster is officially announced. I think it's during the NHL season, yeah, I'm pretty I'm, sure. So if Jimmy Howard can start off hot early, I think he has a really right. good chance to be the backup. Well, well you also have the, the the executives from Team USA and Team Canada were talking about how because it's a year away, the players who are invited to these these camps aren't necessarily – this doesn't mean this is the end-all, be-all of who's going to be on the roster. Mm-hmm. You know, players who weren't invited to the camp still have a chance to prove themselves at the beginning of the year – you know, maybe in the preseason, in whatever capacity they have to kind of show off their talent. So if you have a guy like Ryan Miller who hasn't really been doing much in terms of production, you still give him the first two months of the season to kind of right the ship. And who knows, maybe a solid solid sample size like that mixed with his international play is going to get him the third spot. I think if anyone can do it, Ryan Miller definitely can. And it's going to be a very interesting competition. I really can't wait till this... Till the Sochi Olympics start, 517-432-3893 or at 89FM Sports Wrap. If you want to comment on any of this, hockey fans out there, if you're like me, I know you miss hockey out there. So if you want to call in, that's your number. And there's a third intriguing possibility that, dark you, horse. that we talked about, a, a dark horse, exactly. Dark and he was on the Red Wings' first line for the majority of the playoffs. David? I present to you Justin Abdelkader. Ooh, now, here is a player who, as a Red Wings fan, I'm hoping that's an 100% <laughs> chance he makes it, although that seems pretty unrealistic at this point. But you definitely have to look at the intrigue that he brings to this team. Now, here's a player, he's 26 years old, so you know this won't be the last Olympics he ever competes in because he, he has a longevity still ahead of his career, provided he doesn't get hurt or anything. But... You have a guy who started his NHL career as a fourth-line hustle player. He played with Darren Helm. Babcock called on him for his grit and physicality and hustle. Before Jordan Tutu was even on the Red Wings, yep. he was the he was pretty much the, the muscle. He was the hired gun of the team. On, I don't, you know, who's at a game I was at a few years ago, I actually saw him get in a fight right in front of my section. That's probably one of my favorite moments of a Red Wings game that I've been to. I just want to throw that out there. And then I remember in... Like, really what was his true rookie year on the Red Wings was in the 2009 Stanley Cup Finals. He had Marc-Andre Fleury's number, but he wasn't playing in Game 7. I question why that is to this day. I mean, yeah, hindsight's 20-20, and we all know that especially is true in sports. But I think that if he'd have been able to play, if he'd have been playing, in place of Kirk Maltby, respect to him, he just wasn't having the type of numbers that Justin Abdelkader was having against Marc-Andre Fleury, I think the Red Wings had a better chance at winning that game. You could say that. Because the young energy that he brought, too. Yeah. And, and he brought a ton of grit to the team in the Chicago Blackhawks series that they really needed. The Chicago Blackhawks are a physical yes. team. Yes, And that really doesn't match up with guys like uh, Henrik Zetterberg, Pavel Datsuk, who can be physical, but really are more of finesse players. Yeah. And the Red Wings' defense truly is, with exception to 
Nicholas Cronwall, truly a finesse defense. I mean, you think that John, yo, Jonathan Erickson could do a little more in terms of hitting just because of his solid frame. Well, and Kyle Quincy as well. I mean, both right. of them are relatively big guys, but really the shorter guy of the three of them, Nicholas Cronwall, is the one who does all the hitting for him. Yeah. And we've all seen what he can do. At, just ask Martin Havlat. <laughs> but um, I think Justin Abdelkader has the lowest chance of making it on, but I'm going to give him a 35% chance. I'm not exactly ruling it out. I just don't think, just given the guys that they have on there, and truly all-stars, you've got guys like uh, Max Pacioretty. He's not an all-star, but he w- he's been very good for the uh, for the for Montreal the Canadians. Canadians. And Ryan Kessler, Phil Kessel, Patrick Kane, you can't overlook that guy, obviously, the, and the Red Wings couldn't. And just, you got to think about, he's maybe a fourth liner at best on the... U.S. Olympic team. I I would definitely agree with that. I don't see him being a top six forward and going and making some big type of productive splash. But yeah, and one... he's not a goal scorer, and that's what you got to think about. He's not a goal scorer. He's a bit of a playmaker, but more the physical guy who sets up the team to allow them to make the plays. Right. But would you say that? In this past year, he has kind of come into his own more as a scoring threat. Oh, absolutely, I no mean, doubt. Here's here's a guy who his career high, I believe, was eight goals for the, his entire season or for an entire season, and that's that was in, in 81 games. He did that last year. Where this year, in the lockout shortened 48 game season, he put up 10 goals. Which you know, you 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 give him an entire season, he could be a 20 goal scorer. He learn to play a little more with Datsuk and Zetterberg, so now he's got more of a finesse players to play around, players that he can set up, that can set him up. And the one thing I found interesting was that the executives for the Team USA were really preaching that, listen, we're going to the the Olympics. We're not looking to field an all-star team. What we need isn't 12 guys that can score 30 goals and do nothing else. The Team USA has really kind of, they sort of carved out their niche last year as a team that's gritty, physical, and can provide balanced scoring. And those three adjectives, to me, kind of describe Justin Abdicator almost to a T. Now, this could be the homer in me, but I'm <laughs> going to chalk it up to 75% really? that he they, he makes the team. I think that given his production at, on the first line with the Red Wings, the executives for Team USA know that he can push up, he can play with more skilled players and complement them well, but at the very least, he can come in as a fourth-line guy and give you you know, three or four goals for the entire tournament, maybe set up some, uh, some assists, and more importantly, get in the heads of a guy like Sidney Crosby or Jonathan Taves and guys on Team Canada that were giving USA so much trouble in the past. Well, and especially Sidney Crosby, because once you get into Sidney Crosby's head, he You're tends to life. start doing... Um, he tends to start doing stuff that really isn't the smartest thing you can do. No. Like cross-checking Henrik Zetterberg and then getting face-washed by, Sid- by Jimmy Howard. Yeah. That was probably one of my favorite moments. But, I mean, again, Zetterberg has gotten into he- to Sidney Crosby's head. They were always going at it in the cup finals. So once you do get into his head, he can't seem to let that go. No, he really seems, you know, for as good as a player as Sidney Crosby is, he definitely has a mental aspect of the game that he needs to work on to become, you know, the next Gretzky, which people have been touting him as since he came mm-hmm. to the league. And, and he he does in a way he deserves the hype. He's obviously the one of the best players in the NHL. Let alone he is the best player on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if 
if he can actually straighten up the fact that he allows players into his head really quickly, or not really quickly, but I guess it doesn't take much for players to get into his head yeah. is what I'm trying he to is, say. He has a pretty impermeable skull, some would say. <laughs> no doubt. And um, I think that if he can, if that stops, he will be the best player in the oh. league because he's got guys like Alex Ovechkin. He's up against Steven Stamkos, who's a very young but budding star here in in the NHL. And I, I think he will be the best player on Team Canada next year. Mm-hmm. But he's got guys like Patrick Kane, or not Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, um, and other guys who are up uh, at pretty close to his level. I would agree. I might even go as far as to say that while Sidney Crosby is going to be far and away the most talented player on that team, mm-hmm. the kind of underlying leader should be Jonathan Taves. This is a guy who was the captain of the uh, Blackhawks pretty much from I want to say the second or third year he was even in the league well and it was the years that the Blackhawks were rebuilding too and they wanted a young start similar to what the Red Wings did with did Steve Eiserman yeah. back in the 1980s they wanted a young player who was dedicated to the team and they knew was going to stay on the team through good, the good and the bad and the Blackhawks look at them now right now do you see any type of resemblance between Jonathan Taves and Steve Eiserman, just in terms of demeanor? Not because, really. Um, really. It's hard for me to say. I mean, as far as their talent, they I, I definitely see a lot of similarities. Not necessarily as much as demeanor. Really? Because we saw in, um, the, oh, the, playoffs? in the playoffs where, Zetterberg. That, where Z- he was just, um, not even Zetterberg, but what I'm going to say is Jonathan Taves, when the, when the going got tough, he tended to take dumb penalties and just really, again, it goes back to the mental aspect of it that we were just talking about, Sidney Crosby. Yeah, see, I only really saw that in the first few games. I saw Zetterberg kind of get in his head. Zetterberg was essentially matched up against Jonathan Taves. Like you would put a guy on Kobe for a series, like you put a guy on LeBron. Like this was was a man-on-man defense and essentially offense. It was wherever Taves was, Zetterberg was following. And while Zetterberg got into his head and seemed to really put Taves into kind of a meltdown position, once Game 5 hit and the Blackhawks just kind of flipped the script on the Red Wings, yep. the biggest thing I saw was that that was when Jonathan Taves came out and said, listen, Zetterberg's going to play his game, Datsuk's going to play his game, they're going to try to get in my head, but as far as it goes with me leading the Chicago Blackhawks into the next round, that is simply, that's coming from between the ears. And Game 5, he, I really thought he put that together, and that was to me, the difference between, you know, being able to knock out the Blackhawks in five games and taking them to seven just to watch us lose. And I'm not, I'm definitely not knocking Jonathan Taves' leadership either. He, it's obviously there because, I mean, granted, they had two hot goalies throughout the year and Ray Emery and Corey Crawford and just an absolutely stacked team, which they, they'd all grown that talent for the most part. Right. But the, again, you can't get, get that there without leadership and they have a great coach in Joel Quenville and a spe- and I think a great great captain in Jonathan Taves Blackhawks are here for years to absolutely come. absolutely and just other interesting names that are on the Canada Olympic team aside from Duncan Keith on defense again are Carl Alsner Drew Doughty uh, Shea Weber and P.K. Subban, as well as Chris Letang and Alex Pietrangelo, another former division rival for the Red Wings. That's true. And tr- between Pietrangelo, Letang, Weber, Doughty, I think those are four 
almost guarantees. Mm-hmm. So then you have essentially four more spots. The, my interesting question is, do you think that Babcock is going to see the way that Duncan Keith and Seabrook played together and possibly put Seabrook on the team as a reserve if Duncan Keith is there, just knowing that worst comes to worst, we're going to have familiarity back in the blue line. Well, and that's the type of coach that Mike Babcock is, too. He knows his players. He knows where they're where their capabilities are. I think Seabrook definitely has a very good chance to be there as an alternate. I don't think he's going to be starting in the first game. Nor should he, in my but, opinion. But I think uh, he has that familiarity with Duncan Keith. They played really, really well together in the playoffs and during the season. I think that he definitely could be there. It's proven. Well, it's it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it all plays forward. 517-432-3893. If you would like to comment on any of that, we've thrown a lot of information at at you, but again, guys like Justin Abdelkader, Ryan Miller, and Duncan Keith, all three former Michigan State Spartans and well-known players in the NHL, have all have a chance to make the Olympic rosters this year. So if you want to give us your percentages of what of what you think they, their chances are of getting on the team, or if you want to comment on the percentages that we threw out, there's your number, at 89FM Sports Wrap. Um, my Twitter handle, Aaron Jordan, at AJJordan1210. David, do you want to throw yours my out there? My Twitter handle at DZuck9. All right, and we are going to be talking um, Michigan State football coming up soon, and we're looking at the schedule here. And the question, again, that we posed at the beginning is this season, what game are you looking forward to that MSU has? you got a lot of great choices there in Notre Dame, Michigan, obviously, Nebraska, and a dark horse could be Northwestern or Iowa. And then what game are you looking forward to that Michigan State doesn't play? And you could pick Michigan-Ohio State. I know what my game is. David, I know, knows what his game is. But even something like USC or Notre Dame, that could be a very good game this year, too. Yeah. USC ha- is is an intriguing team coming into this year just because they don't have Matt Barkley. They have a lot of questions at the quarterback that's, position, that's, I think. That's true. It's definitely a team that is going to be unproven, but we found that with unproven comes budding stars that just kind of come out of the woodwork. Just ask Johnny Manziel. <laughs> and, again, that's your question. Um, let's go back to just Ryan Miller for a second, though. Um, he had a lot of success and probably the biggest impact – on the U.S. Olympic team. He was absolutely phenomenal throughout that. Uh, they were playing in the gold medal game. They were playing a, a Team Canada that had guys like Sidney Crosby, like Patrick Kane on there. And don't forget Roberto Luongo, who was just great at that point. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Miller really set the tone as opposed to what Michigan, St- as, as opposed to what Team USA has normally done in the Olympics. I mean, this is a team that really hasn't had much success since the 1980 mm-hmm. uh, since the 1980 Olympics as a you miracle know, on ice and since then the miracle really hasn't hadn't come until Ryan Miller kind of got his groove back and once he came back you just saw that a team that has balanced scoring and gritty play they didn't necessarily have to rely on a certain player because the player they relied on was the player between the pipes which if I'm a hockey coach that's what I want no doubt about it and you don't want to you want to have a good defense to where the goalie isn't constantly standing on his head. But you want to have a guy who is proven back there because in case the defense does fail, you're going to need that guy who can stand on his head when he's called for. And Ryan Miller truly did that for the 
2010 U.S. Olympic team. But again, just the way with Jonathan Quick has been playing, I'm not truly optimistic that Ryan Miller, I, actually, I, I don't really like his chances to be the starter. Let's say that. Again, it's a competition for me between Ryan Miller and Jimmy Howard as the backup. Right. And for me, I think it's a competition between Ryan Miller and Craig Anderson just being on that third roster spot. At the end of the day, I think Ryan Miller can use his experience and his track record as a way to kind of push push himself over the edge. But with what Craig Anderson Perhaps did, another coach. And I'm sorry to cut you off. we got to go to break here. No You're tuned into 89FM Sports Wrap. We're talking MSU football next. You're listening to Impact Exposure. I'm out of here. Th- thanks again, man. It was a good. Wait, time. you were uh, you were hitting it pretty hard tonight. Are you, are you good to drive? Heck yeah! I am amazing at driving. Yeah, man. You sure? I mean, I can call a cab, or we fine. can uh, we can get somebody to take you home. Yeah, you know? yeah. Don't worry. I'm good. Okay. Uh, hey, text me when you get back. Okay. Stop right there. This is stupid. He's drunk. Friends don't let friends drink and drive ever. A message from 88.9 The Impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Friday nights from 8 until 10 p.m., the Impact Flashback is your retro music alternative, playing your old favorites from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Only on Impact Primetime. In a world where radio was repetitive and mundane, in a time when FM is plagued by the same 15 songs, an army of new songs are called to battle. And only the strongest survive. Every Sunday night from 8 till 10. Sit or spit. Only on Impact 89 FM. Now back to Impact Exposure. We are back on Spartan Sports Wrap. I'm Aaron Jordan alongside David Zuckerman. And let's talk MSU football now. We posed a question to the listeners about um, what game you're most looking forward to that MSU is playing in and what college football game that MSU is not playing in are you most looking forward to? 517-432-3893 at 89FM Sports Wrap. If you'd like to comment on that, David, what are your games? Well, my Michigan State game is probably going to surprise most of the viewers, but you did mention them earlier as the dark horse. Mm-hmm. I really think that the true testament of what this season is, surprisingly as this may sound, is going to be Michigan State going to Evanston, Illinois, and playing the Northwestern Wildcats. Really? I think that, you first of all, you have to start with their quarterback, Kane Coulter, who was phenomenal last year, and I've already seen him on list as dark horse as a dark horse Heisman candidate. Mm. It's pre, you know pretty pretty That's extensive a long list, shot. pretty extensive list. But at this point, I mean Johnny Manziel wasn't anywhere last year, mm-hmm. and we saw how he rose up the ranks. Then you go to their running back position, and they return Venrick Martin, who was I mean Venrick Mark, who was a not not necessarily a dominant back, but definitely serviceable. And considering what we're returning at in uh, as our running back position. We have more question marks as a Michigan State fan. I say this not as someone who's just broadcasting it right. than Northwestern does. And then you have a guy named Kyle Prater. Now, many Michigan State fans probably don't know this name. He was a top 20 recruit coming out of, coming out of high school in general, a five-star wide receiver, decided to go to USC probably to follow you know Los Angeles. I mean, why would you not want to play there? <laughs> Had a little bit of trouble, kind of clashed with uh, with. 
uh, Kiffin out there, and so he decided to come back to where he's from, which is Illinois. Now he's on Northwestern Wildcats. I think with our defense, we're going to be able to shut him down, but with that comes, you know, Tony Jones, Venrick Mark, and Kristen Jones, who are their other three playmakers, who I think when Michigan State goes to Evanston, Illinois— mm-hmm. It, the Wildcats always kind of seem like a thorn in their side. They never, it's never as smooth as the game, as the, all the Michigan comes State fans. Exactly. And I think Michigan State fans, you know, after that run against Michigan and Nebraska in the season, if we come out of that unscathed, Michigan State fans are already going to kind of be looking towards the Big Ten championship game. And I think that Northwestern is definitely a game that we have to kind of gear things up for, saying that as a Michigan State fan, of course. I think the fact that Ohio State and Wisconsin aren't on this, I don't I don't think Wisconsin's going to be as good as they were last year or the year before, just given that they have a new coach. they I think they're going to take a bit of a step backward than what they were last year. Um, That's fair. They don't have Ohio State. I think that lightens up their schedule a lot. The game I'm most excited for that Michigan State is playing in is Notre Dame. It's the last game that we will be playing Notre Dame for two years, and then we're, ta- we're coming back in 2016. It was in the whole deal that we're going to take a break in the 2014 and 15 years. Right. That season, though, I'm looking forward to playing Oregon. That's going to be a tough game. Those are going to be tough games, the home-and-home home series, but I'm excited to watch those because... I always love watching Oregon games. They're fun to they're a fun team to watch. Yeah. But they they wear the cool jerseys. But with this rivalry, this is going to be a statement game for the Michigan State Spartans and Notre Dame because whoever wins this will have the bragging rights for 2 years saying that we beat them right before the break. And I don't know if that'll be a momentum but thing, but you raised the questions for um Michigan State coming into the season, and I'm, I'm going to add one to that. It's their passing game that has a lot of questions. With the questions at running back, their passing game has to step up them from what it was last year, and we're going to get into that when we talk over under, but I just want to say that their passing game has to step up. It was not that good last year, and I say that again as a Michigan State fan. Um, Notre Dame has questions at quarterback. They say that it's going to be a competition. Tommy Reese is more than likely going to be the starter. He's the veteran on that team. But their starter from last season, Everett Golson, is no longer on the team. They lost such a stalwart on their defense in Manti Teo. I, and really was their team leader. I'm going to be interested to see what they are next year. I agree. I definitely don't see them coming back as a kind of national national championship perennial powerhouse that they were last year they are returning Lewis Nix the third they mm-hmm. do definitely have players along each line and in their defense that can step up and make plays but in terms of losing Manti Teo and Everett Golston that was pretty much the captain of your offense and the captain of your defense and don't forget they lost Theo Riddick too and Theo Riddick's on the Detroit Lions and as a running back now and um I'm gonna be again I'm just gonna be interested to see what they are as a team because Honestly, I didn't really think that they had much of a chance to beat Alabama in the in the BCS National Championship. I didn't think it'd be the blowout that it was. No, neither did Although I. Although I was pretty I was pretty impressed that Mark May on ESPN actually called the forty two to fourteen. I I thought it would be more uh, like a twenty seven to fourteen type of score where it would be competitive. But still, Alabama would come out on top. Right. I, I thought Notre Dame's defense was going to be able to at least slow down Lacey and McCarron a little bit just to kind of afford their offense to move the chains 
even though it's against a pretty daunting Alabama defense. Now, the real question I want to ask you is, in terms of games that Michigan State is not playing in, what are you really geared up for? Which which games have you already circled on your calendar saying, Mom, don't schedule any appointments for me here because I'm going to be in front of the TV? Alabama LSU is always one that I watch. I've watched it for years. Always a great game. Last season probably was my favorite game of that series where it really came right down to the wire. Yeah. I was actually watching that game on ESPNU. It was the number two game on their countdown, not the number one. Really? But the funny thing is, Alabama had all three of the top games. Uh, actually, no, it was number three because then A&M was number two, and then the SEC championship game was the number one game from last season on ESPNU's top 25 wow. countdown. But I always watch that I always watch that game. I remember last year I'd yelled myself hoarse at the MSU-Nebraska game, but I was still trying to yell at my TV during (laughs) the Alabama-LSU game because I was so excited to watch that. A.J. McCarron was just absolutely phenomenal in that game. Eddie Lacy, I mean, it's just always great games. They're always back and forth because those games are comparable to Michigan-Michigan State, Michigan-Ohio State, whatever rivalry you want to come up with. That is the big rivalry in the SEC. I'd say so, and I would even go as far as to say recently that that is the closest college football game you have to seeing professional systems, professional talent take the field to the point where sometimes you're watching it and you're saying, how is that guy 19 years old? How how did a 20-year-old just do that? You know, you, you, have, you have Les Miles, and then you have mm-hmm. Nick Saban, and you look at whoever they have on the field, and you know that while all these players are at least at least most of these players are going to get some type of shot to try to be in the NFL, it really comes down to a chess match between two of the great college football minds. And Nick and Nick Saban, although a lot of Michigan State fans don't like him, you can't discredit what he's done down there in Alabama. And if there was such a thing as a dynasty in college football, there you'd you'd be able to find that in a dictionary with Alabama being there because they have been the best team for the past few years. Absolutely. Now, would you say that if Alabama were to win another national championship this year, you would you go ahead and mark them as quite possibly the greatest college football team of all time in terms of a, a span of, of years, of course? Not... In a span of years, I'd have to say yes, because they did it with Greg McElroy. They've done it with A.J. McCarron twice. Mm-hmm. And it's it just goes down to the great recruiting that Nick Saban has done in replacing these players that have gone on to the NFL. I'm interested to see what Eddie Lacy is going to do in the NFL Agreed. this season. And he's going to be doing it against the Lions. So. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I'm, I'm shuddering just thinking of that. <laughs> but what's the game you're looking forward to? I'm curious to hear that one. I'm actually I'm going to stick with the SEC because okay. obviously Alabama is the most, you know, the most fun team to watch in the country. But I really think the challenge comes in when Johnny Manziel oh, brings Texas A&M over into I don't I don't know if the game is in at uh, Kyle Field or not this year. I, I think yeah, it is because a- A&M beat Alabama right. in Baton Rouge last year. No, it wasn't Baton or Rouge. Or in Tuscaloosa. Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Wow. I'm stuck on LSU right now, That's guys. That's true. You wow. He, DVR <laughs> that game because he seems to have. You might have to watch some old games just, to, you know, just to make sure you stay in the mindset. <laughs> but I think that when you have a guy like Johnny Manziel come in last year after they won, Johnny football pretty much blew up. That was his coming out party nationally, at least. And now he's he's going back. He's you know he's going back to play an Alabama team that a when after Saban loses to a team. 
he will scout everything about mm-hmm. that team for their next for their next uh, you know matchup simply because of the fact that he can't afford to lose that game twice. But Johnny Manziel is about to do it without his starting left tackle, Luke yep. Jokel, without Demontre Moore, without his security blanket and Ryan Swoop. Sean Porter's gone from the defense. I mean, this is a team that they're not really retooling in terms of players that are proven, but at the same time, they're bringing back the one shining player that got all the credit for it. I want to see if this is really Johnny Football being Johnny Football or if he was a product of being a great quarterback with a great team around him. Well, and, jo- and Johnny Manziel also has had all this drama surrounding him during the offseason, and just recently he was kicked out of a University of Texas frat. Right, I would... <laughs> and- I mean, he he went on ESPN and talked about and just had this whole interview. I think that was honestly a bit much. He he is a kid. He's a kid. Um, but I mean, there there may be the maturity issues, but I think you're going to find that with any college athlete of his stature. He's all of a sudden just become big man on campus down at Texas A and M, and that I I would imagine I'm I. I'm definitely not big man on campus, for those of you who don't know me out there. I wish I... No, I don't. But um, I think that there was... um, I think that he needs to get used to that. And once he does get used to that, he's going to be great. And I I don't expect him to have the miracle season that he had last year. No. They were absolutely phenomenal, and you just can't realistically expect that. But I think he is going to be very, very good. I mean, he'll he'll have his growing pains. He's definitely going to be a target now. Where last year he kind of until the Alabama game, he's pretty much came into every game, and there were obviously scouting reports on him, but it was nothing of shut this guy down if you want to mm-hmm. beat Texas A and M. So now you have a guy like that coming in, and what a lot of people forget is because he's the first freshman to ever win the Heisman, no other Heisman winner has had to deal with the scrutiny and the publicity that he has at the age that he has you have right. you have you know when matt liner won when is you know jason white reggie bush when these guys all won their heismans although reggie bush doesn't have his anymore is they were older they they were seniors they were juniors they were players who had been in the spotlight for th- three years they had been doing interviews press releases they kind of knew how division one football worked this was johnny manziel's first year ever being a starter and all of a sudden he rose to great fame he hasn't even had a 21st birthday yet it's going to be an exciting college football season, but let's move back to the Michigan State Spartans. We want to get into our over-under. But uh, you asked a question in our show sheet, which I thought was really interesting, the fact that we do get out of playing Penn State, Wisconsin, Ohio State. We still have Nebraska on the schedule, and obviously Michigan we're going to, and Notre Dame. 517-432-3893 if you want to respond to any of this. But also, you asked, do you think it will be a cakewalk? for the Michigan State Spartans into the Big Ten Championship? Well, when you look at the 2013 schedule, it definitely looks favorable for the Spartans as they're looking to bounce back from the obviously disappointing 7-6 and six season they had last year. Of course, this comes after the two 11-win seasons they mm-hmm. posted in 2010 and 2011. The expectations were a lot higher. Right. And, and when you ha- I think that when you have the team that Michigan State is bringing back there are always going to be question marks about that team it's because you know they have unproven running backs. They have some unproven players in the secondary on mm-hmm. the D line. You know Maxwell hasn't necessarily gotten to the pinnacle of where he needs to be and where I think he will eventually be. But when I look at this simply from a from a fan's perspective, the easy schedule is not, in my opinion, what needs to happen right. to Michigan State. I think that, and you can ask D'Antonio, I'm sure he would agree with me 100%, <laughs> but 
no matter who lines up against you on the football field, you need to be ready to play. Right. And when Michigan State posted those back-to-back 11-win seasons, that was sort of a coming-out party. Listen, we are here to stay as a Big Ten champion contender. They didn't, they didn't have um, that easy of a schedule in those years either. Right, right. and they were, they were able to do it. I mean, obviously they had different quarterback play. They had different players who stepped up when they needed to. But this is a team that when they won those 11-game seasons, that was a statement that, look, we can comp- compete for a national – or I mean for a Big Ten championship year in and year out. Now those became the expectations, and I think in college football, as along with pretty much any walk in life, mm-hmm. you have expectations and aspirations. And if you expect to be a Big Ten championship team, your aspirations need to be the national championship. Right. If you expect to be a, a subpar, middle-of-the-road Big Ten team, then you aspire to win a Big Ten championship. Yes. And the, what Michigan State did when they took their step back is in last year pretty much said, all right, let's pump the brakes on our all, all the national championship talk. We might not be there yet, but let's at least get back to the Big Ten level of play. Now, if we can do that this year with an easy schedule – you know, it might alleviate the fan base and they might say, hey, look, we're still a Big Ten championship team. We're still a contending team. But if you're an ultimate Michigan State fan, you want to win a national championship along with every other fan of every other college football team in the country. And to do that, you need to play tough teams like Ohio State, like um, Michigan. And I've said this for a while. Ohio State, as as of this point, has the best shot of being the national champion. I don't Again, I don't think anyone anyone's going to beat Alabama this year. I they're my lock for the national championship. Again, going off a of preseason hype, right? But their, their track record is pretty good so far. I think they exactly no <laughs> kidding. I think they have a um, I think they have a good chance at making the game just simply based on the schedule. Um, the toughest opponents they have as of now are Notre Dame, Michigan, Nebraska. If they can get through those games pretty mu- pretty well unscathed, I think they have a good chance at making it. I'm not I'm not sold on the fact that they could that they'll win it if Ohio State is there, but just being back will help the Michigan State Spartans. But over under time, um, where do you want to start with that? Let's let's start it with wins. I think that Vegas put the line at eight and a half wins. Mm-hmm. Now I want your take on if you think they're going to go over, drop under, or hit that flat line. I'm going to say under, but only slightly. I'm going to give them, just given looking at what their schedule is this season, I'm going to say eight wins for this season. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go with the over. I think that they could beat Michigan. They, I think they will beat Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. To me, obviously, the game that I think everyone needs to circle on their calendar is at Nebraska because Taylor Martinez is coming back. That Nebraska team is good. That's really going to be the game where if you need to get up for one game this year, obviously you're going to get up for Michigan. You're going to get up for Notre Dame. All these other teams are teams that you are going to you know, go out, go out there and give it your all. But that Nebraska game is really a game where I don't believe that we're the favorite in it. And even if we come out with that game, I'm still looking at Northwestern. I know no one else is. But... They need to be prepared to stop Taylor Martinez, yes. too, because he – well. I don't even need to say this. He is a fast quarterback. He ran well against us in the in the game we had last year, and we all know what happened in the Big Ten championship game, a game that Nebraska lost by not-so-small margins. But still, that was one of the biggest highlights from that game, and it just shows what Taylor Martinez can do. Yeah. Now let's talk about... Um, to- 
Let's talk about passing yards. And I, I brought up the fact earlier that passing yards in the passing game is a game where Michigan State truly needs to step up. Last season, they threw for... 2,729 yards, and the season before was 3,640. David, over under 3,000 yards. Well, after looking at the season, the schedule of the season, the the defenses we're playing against are actually very favorable for a quarterback. Now, I know a lot of people seem to be calling for Andrew Maxwell's job. I'm going to go with an over, and I think that Maxwell is going to throw for all of those 300-plus yards simply because last year, while everyone was trying to put the blame on Maxwell and saying he couldn't do this, he couldn't do that, I saw inconsistent an inconsistent receiving yes. core. That was my biggest issue with last year was that Le'Veon Bell would get the ball 29 times a game, but when he wasn't getting the ball, Andrew Maxwell had to fit in passes to players who they could make the catch, but they didn't make the catch. Now, you have a guy like Monty Medeiros, who was a redshirt last mm-hmm. year, who's going to come on and I think is going to make noise. I think Burbage is going to come on, could have a breakout season, possibly becoming a, an all-Big Ten selection. You have Benny Fowler, who I think is going to make his way. I like McGarrett Kings a lot, a little slot guy, kind of take the Keyshawn Martin role. Mm-hmm. I really think that if Maxwell can get a group of receivers that he's comfortable with, they've been working all spring, all summer, to, or they've been working all spring, all summer, they're going to work all fall together. I see that they're going over 300 yards. I'm going to be interested to see if DeAnthony Arnett can make an impact. Um, That's right, the as transfer. well this year, the transfer. I'm going to see if I wonder if he can make an impact where he really didn't have much of one last season. I'm going to go over as well, but again, only slightly. I don't think we're going to match the 2011 of 3,640. I'm going to say closer to 3,300 yards. Okay. I think I think this the passing game will step up because they're going to be forced to again. The Michigan State Spartans lost Le'Veon Bell, and it's that's going to be tough for their running game. But I think they could get over three thousand yards. Now, speaking uh, of running game, yes, when you have a guy like Le'Veon Bell go to the college, I mean, go to the pro ranks, and all of a sudden you're left with a pretty glaring hole at the tailback position. Mm-hmm. We ha- last year Le'Veon Bell and the the running backs totaled for n- about. 1,942 yards. The year before, it was 1,931. So I, I have to ask you, over or under on 1,900 yards for the Michigan State running back committee? This is a hard question for me because Michigan State over the past few years truly has been a run-first offense. Now they have Dave Warner, the former quarterback's coach, calling offensive plays. I think it's going to be slightly under, just given the uncertainties that Michigan State has with the running back position, but it's not going to be that far under. Okay. I'm also going to go with the under. I think that when you have a guy, I mean, as of right now, our number one is Riley Bullo, and from what I'm hearing, he sort of gained his role as, you know, if you need four yards, Riley Bullo will get you those four Mm -hmm. yards. The man can go between the tackles and just pound the ball yeah but I don't think that I think that can translate to more touchdowns than necessarily total yards I think that maybe it's from the 20 to 20 Michigan State's going to have a little more of an issue running the ball but once we get inside the red zone Riley Bullo seems like the perfect compliment we've got about seven minutes left and I wanted to get to this it, it involves MSU football but I wanted to get to this um there is an article in the Detroit Free Press today that said athletic directors don't expect Michigan MSU night game anytime soon And from what it sounds like to me, Mark Hollis, the AD here at Michigan State, really didn't say much about that, didn't really give an opinion either way. 
But here's what Dave Brandon had to say. We don't think it's a good idea from our perspective, the nature of that rivalry and the intensity of it. When you put it on a prime time and give it and give everybody all day long to gear up for it, I know that hosting at Michigan Stadium, we think that it's probably taking it a step farther than it needs to go. There's plenty of excitement and plenty of high-pitched emotions associated with that game. I don't think we need to kick it off at 8 p.m., and I don't think that that will add anything to it and potentially could detract from it. Do you agree with A.D. Brandon? Wow. I'm sorry, but if that sounds like anything besides a slap in the face to Michigan (laughs) State fans around the country, then, you know, I must be reading into that wrong. I mean, this is a rivalry that each team will get up weeks in advance, circle it on their calendar, and say, this is the game. If we don't win another game all season, this is the one where we have to come out and demolish our competition. At least to Michigan State. Well, I think I think just to devil's advocate, do you think that Michigan, Michigan fans, though, are looking more at the Ohio State game as that game for them? They have, and That's their big rival. I would say Michigan fans are because Michigan fans always send, tend to, even if the team is great, they think it's the greatest team in the world. If the team is decent, it's and a the great Spartan team. Spartan fans thought that last year, too. I remember te- people saying, and after the Notre Dame game, oh, we still go into the Rose Bowl this year. And then after Eastern Michigan, I still heard a little bit too, and we barely beat Eastern. So, I mean, that's a lot of fans throughout the country. And just to play devil's advocate with you there again, um, I I agree with you to a point that it's a slap in the face. I'm not sure why um, Michigan wouldn't want the game in prime time. The only thing that really would make sense to me is that the Michigan athletic director and the Michigan fan base doesn't see Michigan State as a quote-unquote high-profile enough game to have a national audience. Because it seems, I mean, unless David Brandon is going on and saying that the Notre Dame rivalry is more important or a bigger rivalry than the Michigan State one, it seems that if you have Notre Dame, that's going to get you a national audience. Notre Dame is Mm -hmm. respected around the country and is revered around the country. Michigan State has that following, but not to the extent. So if you want to say that the quote-unquote rivalry is is already important enough to mm-hmm. not have a nighttime game, all I hear from that is we don't feel that Michigan State is suitable enough to bring a national audience to a nighttime game. And that, to me, is a complete slap to the face. And it's a rivalry that's been going on for years. 517-432-3893, Michigan fans, Michigan State fans, whoever you are, if you want to respond to that... Also answer the question that we posed at the beginning of the show. That's your number. At 89FM Sports Wrap, if you want to respond to us on Twitter, we will be taking your calls all the way up until the end of the show. you got about four minutes left. I think that it definitely couldn't hurt. It would give Michigan the exposure that they always want. Michigan and Michigan State both want exposure. And I, I don't think Michigan State would have a problem bringing in the primetime games because A.D. Mark Hollis for Michigan State said that they'd had success with it given playing teams like Boise State under the lights, Wisconsin under the lights, and then we played Notre Dame under the lights last year. I don't I don't think, um, I think there, it's more likely to happen at Spartan Stadium than it is at Michigan Stadium, just judging by both athletic directors' answers. Because again, Hollis didn't really give any... Um, any response, true response, either way to it, just the right. usual, not stirring anything, stirring anything up that you'll see from a head coach in any position. And and I think if Hollis really wanted it, he could go out and make it happen. I mean, mm-hmm. remember this is the AD 
who put his basketball team on a on a flight carrier. Yes. This is this is a guy who wants to do the innovative. He wants to bring out the new in Michigan State. And the Michigan Michigan State under the lights at the big house has never happened. So in if I'm Hollis, I might not push for it because I don't need to step on any toes. We as as a as a fan base, Michigan State doesn't need this. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they would be opposed to it in the way that Michigan seemed to be opposed to earlier it. Earlier in the season, or earlier before we started the show, you were saying that the last one was Smoker to Duckett, and that, that was at Spartan Stadium. That 0-1 game, exactly. And I, I really just don't think that Michigan, if they brought Michigan State in there, I don't think that they would find that it was such a waste as they seem to make it believe. And it looks like we do have a caller. Let's go to our caller. You are on 89FM Sports Wrap. Who is this? Hi, my name is Ian, and I am, uh, I'm a state fan. I go to Michigan State. What's going on, um, Ian? Great I, to hear from you. What do you got to say? Okay, I was just on right now. Anyway, what I feel like is um, we, we probably don't deserve the game after last season because uh, we... Um, didn't have the season that we were expecting to have, and the expectations were higher, but we didn't live up to those. Is that what you're trying to say, Ian? Did we lose him? And Ian. All right, Ian, if you want to call back, you have about a minute 30 to do that. We lost him. All right, Ian, I'm going to respond to you right now because in my personal opinion, when you have Michigan State, who came out with back-to-back 11 win seasons two years ago, and even though they ended up 7-6 and six last year, it's not like they had a complete turnover of roster players. They still had a pretty good bearing of the players who were there and who got the experience of having an 11-win season. I just think that for that, just, just the Spartan helmet is becoming more and more nationally recognized, even if the Block M fans and yes. the, the Walmart fans don't seem to agree. <laughs> All right, and there's Ian's opinion right there. I think, I think that if... That would give the rivalry more exposure, too, because people always hear about it, but you don't necessarily know about it because it's on at 3.30, the ABC, the ESPN, the regional games. You don't necessarily see that type of game in primetime, and it's something that I would, I would just love to see to perhaps allow fans that opportunity around the country not only to see it, but also to introduce an interstate rivalry that has been going on for years and still is very much strong. And that is about a wrap on Spartan Sports Wrap. David, it was great talking to you, and we covered a lot today. We did. It was, you know, I'd, I would love to do this again sometime. It was great being here with you, Aaron. I would too. Great being with you too. And that is Spartan Sports Wrap for David Zuckerman. I'm Aaron Jordan. Asian Invasion is next on 89FM. Take care. Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.